are here in Pendle Hill, Pennsylvania at the Annie Nurses Environmental Health Fellowship. It just got kicked off yesterday. And I'm here talking to a couple of fellows. Would you guys tell me your names and where you're from? Oh, my name is Felix Roman from Puerto Rico. I'm Sheila Stone from the Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia. Wow. And so why were you interested in being part of this fellowship? Being part of this fellowship, I can uh, learn. And as a faculty of the University of Puerto Rico, I can expand this knowledge that I'm gaining here. So my student is the next generation of nurses. Wow. Cool. Yeah. How about you? Um, I was actually social justice activist before I went to nursing school and um, going to nursing school was a way I thought to make an impact. Now I'm near the end of my career so I'm going full circle and I'm excited. Hi, I'm Joe Kim. Um, I am from South Dakota. I am so excited to be here because I get to network with nurses all over the nation. Awesome, thank you. Those were a few voices of attendees at the Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments Environmental Health Nursing Fellowship. This terrific opportunity convened in early June of 2019, and in it, 30 nurses were selected from across the country to represent their EPA regions and 10 mentors, and together they're working on developing community health projects that uh, respond to environmental health needs and environmental justice needs. The event uh, included many panel discussions, educational opportunities, a toxics tour, and generally getting to know each other. Please take a listen. Well, you can go in here and look up their occupation and see what chemical exposures they are likely to have, and then information about those exposures. And then the toxic release inventory this is uh, information that's required to be provided by companies that are polluters, and there's a trigger on the amount that once they exceed that, they have to report what they're putting in the air or putting in the water. And so it takes your products, your skincare products, like you told us before, those things are not regulated. So you put in what skincare products you want to know about. They have a rating system that kind of works like a stoplight. So if you go over to the side of the page where you'll see essential tips, it will tell you the user's guide to skin deep. So it tells you how, step by step, how to actually use the website. We're going down to Toxtown, and uh, it's toxtown.nlm.nih.gov, so it's an NIH-funded website. Um, and our question was, um, what are the health impacts of hair and nail salon products? So the website itself is really user-friendly and easy to navigate, so we found um, our section pretty easily. And then um, it listed about eight chemicals that um, are known to be hazardous for um, nail and hair salon products. After learning quite a bit about toxic chemicals and exposures, we spent much of the rest of the first day on environmental justice issues, starting with a really interesting panel. And uh, the following principles were adopted by the 40 people of color that participated in that uh, meeting. Be inclusive, uh, emphasis on bottom-up organizing, super important. Uh, three, let people speak for themselves. Number four, work together in solidarity and mutuality. 
Number five, building just relationships among ourselves. And number six is commitment to self-transformation. The purpose why I'm here is to uh, introduce a conversation about how the stuff that we consume, our conspicuous consumption, and um, things of that nature, and um, disastrous trade policies, because uh, it's not a secret that we don't really make anything in the United States anymore. Um, so vast majority of what we use on a day-to-day -day basis is coming from another country. And so we really have to think about the implications of these decisions and what it means for the quote-unquote host communities or uh, port-adjacent neighborhoods who bear the brunt of these uh, pollution impacts. And in many cases, we've got to keep the Lord. Um, obviously, the average person in work does not have the financial resources to be the beneficiary of consuming so much stuff. So more than likely, it's going to affluent outer suburbs. I don't know if you all are familiar with New Jersey at all, but you know, Short Hills, and Livingston, and these different places, or even up in Bergen County, uh, where there are far, far, far more affluent people. New Jersey has um, one of the worst income inequality gaps in terms of looking at a place like Camden and looking at uh, places like Bergen County, Northern Bergen County, where a lot of uh, celebrities and things of that nature live in close proximity to New York City. Um, I come here really as a product of the work um, that I have the blessing of doing. Um, I am the executive director of Philadelphia Student Union. Um, and I say that just because we are not an environmental organization. Um, and I think that's very important just because a lot of my context is going to be from that point. However, I think it's even more important for me to start with that, just because oftentimes, as all of us learn, when we're trying to address one problem, we're probably going to stumble on others, mm -hmm. right? And it's an opportunity to be able to use insight that you may not always know that you're going to use, right? You've learned lessons along the road and say, you know what? Some of these I can use right away. Some of these I'm going to entrust the person in the beginning of the room. Um, I'm going to trust their insight, even if I don't always know how I'm going to use it. Um, and thankfully, that's been my trajectory over the last 15 years, and it's what has actually brought me to Philadelphia and the Philadelphia Student Union next slide. Uh, groups together to say that our moral beliefs say that we cannot stand for certain things. Um, and I started on our economic dignity team as a volunteer. Um, and through that work of seeing where money was being spent, and as we're talking about new economies and what it means to really invest or de-invest in communities. Um, and one of the things that we, through our relationship, um, things are being brought to us about environment and environmental justice, and we work in when you're talking about the context of Philadelphia, Philadelphia is the poorest big city in America. Um, you're talking 26% of Philadelphians live at or below the poverty rate. That's where the impact comes in. And so we really work with communities. Um, and my job especially is working in the community itself to help people understand their own power and how do they use that to really enforce the changes they made and how do we get the numbers that we get in all these statistics and things to be an, a help for them as they are working with the community. And I was set independently learning about some climate crisis stuff in my faith-based separate world and realized, you know what, 
if this is just too devastating to look at unless I gather a really strong support circle of faith around me, I will never be able to face what's true. And I turned to my friends, who we were already in relationship doing this racial and economic justice work in power. Many, many of us were retired church ladies, and I'll tell you, that's a really dynamite organizing. If you could run it, your own youth group or bingo or whatever, you're ready to go out in the streets and communities. <laughs> so, uh, a bunch of our friends, I would say, are in that demographic working with power. And I turned to these friends and said, how about if we look at this together and see, you know, what are the connections between climate crisis and this racism and extreme inequality that we're dealing with every day? And at first, people said, well, I don't really think that's our issue. You know, we're, we're raising grandkids. We're trying to get kids safely home from school without being shot. We're trying to put food on the table. We just don't think climate is our issue. But we love you, and we'll sit down, and we'll... <laughs> Look at this. And we went through a really, what we now go out into the community and do, a really participatory research process. What Terry said about literally looking at zip codes in our city. You know, what is the employment and unemployment rate? What is the high school graduation rate? What is the um, asthma hospital admissions rate? What is the life expectancy? And we mapped it out in our city. You know, who's closest to the toxic dumps? Who's getting the next fossil fuel plant? And we, we could see visually in front of us, and we have a slideshow now that anybody can use called Change the Climate, um, something like organizing at the intersection of race, economics, and climate. And we could see what this cumulative effect, you know, multiple burdens looked like. We did an exercise based on Joanna Macy's work in which an imagined uh, population 200 years into the future spoke with people alive today about our particular challenges around climate and our environmental crisis. The next uh, bit of conversation is about people's experience with that uh, scenario. And it gave me goosebumps, actually, because um, I felt like, well, you know, they're still alive. <laughs> and they're all in there thanking us, so it was cool. So I was in the uh, second generation, and uh, I, I, you know, I was very quiet. I was just kind of trying to pick up on everything that was being said as we were, you know, uh, as everybody was saying something. So some of the thoughts that I had were uh, concerned, uh, scared, worried, uh, unsure. Um, about, you know, uh, it was interesting because two of the people in my group, they kind of built an interesting dialogue and they were just kind of going back and forth on how they felt. So I thought that was very interesting, but at the same time, I'm thankful that that happened because that's just reality. You know, we don't live in a perfect world, but we can, you know, always try to improve it and, and throw in our two cents to, to make it a better place. So. I was in the seventh generation and kind of amazed we're still here. And uh, uh, surprised to hear the stories of our ancestors who, who tried, who were frustrated, who were kind of grief-stricken over the hardships they encountered to overcome the challenges of this day. Um, and it caused me to wonder what it might have been like if they had acted more urgently or with more emphasis and more certainty and determination. Um, nonetheless, I was appreciative of the work that allowed humans to survive to my generation. I was the seventh generation, but it was something that one of the people alive today, you know, we've said that 
struck, struck me and was resonant with me. And that was that this whole biosphere survived as not just doesn't just us because we can't survive with it. And all the animals, not all, but many plants and animals that were meant to support the life here. Just going to talk to a couple folks here. Tell me your name and where you're from, which region and what state and how My name is David Buckeye. I'm a hospital nurse, floor nurse, and I'm here from Kansas City, Missouri, Region 7. Cool. I'm Lael Phillips. I'm an assistant professor at University of Missouri School of Health Professions, and um, I am from Columbia, Missouri, and I'm with Region 7. So you're the mentor for Region 7, yes. and you're a mentee for Region That's 7. That's right. So what do you think of this whole thing so far? <laughs> it's an exciting opportunity, and and it's, I see it as a, a sea change in the field of nursing that nurses need to um, really get back to their roots and really understand environmental health. And um, Florence Nightingale, our, our ultimate mentor of nursing, she... She admonished that her patients um, should be assured safe air to breathe and safe water to drink. That was one of her tenets. And so we need to go full, full circle and get back to our roots. And, and I think this is a, a, a definitely a nudge in the right direction for our profession. Cool. Did you have an interest in environmental health? Yes. yes. I had an How undergraduate come? degree in uh, environmental studies before oh. I became a nurse. Mm -hmm. So these issues have always interested me, but I haven't always found, I didn't find career opportunity in it really. So uh -huh. I'm hoping that I can work that in As a nurse, you may. Yeah. 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 Right. Because it's right down the strike zone of public health for sure. There you go. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. Well, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. What's your name? My name is Michelle Bergen. I'm from Fresno, California. Oh, great. And, and what do you think so far? You know, I've never heard of terms before. I didn't know what environmental injustice was or environmental racism. And this has opened my eyes to the point where a lot of communities, just in my area, can be impacted by the work that we as nurses do. Hi, I'm Ruth McDermott-Levy. Yeah, and you're a mentor here at the at the Annie Fellowship. I am. I'm working with um, three nurses from Region 3. And, and are you excited about being a mentor? Yeah, I am. I, you know, I, I um, you know, think environmental health is extraordinarily important. But also, um, it's great that we can build capacity and leadership of other nurses around the country. Cool. Thank you. My name's Nancy Cheney. I'm from Moscow, Idaho, in EPA Region 10. Right. And I'm enjoying it immensely. We have such diversity here, uh, a lot of enthusiasm, and we're starting to sort of wrap our arms around possible projects for our group. And I'm just so inspired by all of the knowledge and passion in this place. Uh, my name is Atena Smena. And I am from Kansas City, Missouri. I work at Children's Mercy Hospital. Oh, terrific. Yeah. And what do you think of this so far, this fellowship? I think this fellowship has been such a great opportunity to get so much insight from people who are very knowledgeable and have been doing this for a while. Um, it, it feels like such a big problem to tackle from different approaches, but um, having the mentor and the guidance, I feel like we've been able to narrow down and feel like I can actually 
implement something and make a make a change. The first evening, we took a toxics tour to the town of Chester, Pennsylvania, where we saw the impacts of a large waste-to-energy incinerator and other industries. We were led by um, attorney and activist Mike Ewell, and listen to what he has to say. In all the battles I've seen, are waste companies just basically picking up from one spot, going to another, or moving across the ocean to other communities of color? And that's a very common question. And one of the ways that grassroots environmental justice folks are disrespected by big green organizations is that we get dismissed as NIMBYs, as not in my backyard. And this assumption is that we're just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, that we're just pushing the waste to a weaker community. That's not true at all. Of course, there are examples where they try to do that. But what we do in our movement is make sure that people are in Niabi mode, not in anyone's backyard. They travel as far as the Canadian Arctic. There's actually the worst dioxin polluter in the country for many years was the incinerator in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And it was the indigenous people in the Canadian Arctic, and the whole Arctic Circle actually, who wrote to so the mayor of Harrisburg and said, your incinerator is the number one source of dioxin in our food waste, which a study in 2000 pointed out. Okay. It runs through the waterfront communities in this end of Delaware County, so we're just going through Eddystone, we're about to cross into Chester City. The Delaware River is right on the side of us here, um, like over past the industry. We met the amazing Zuline Mayfield, a long-term citizen of Chester, who has been a transformative force in that community. We were so grateful to listen to her. Basically, you know, my, 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 not new attitude, but my new perspective is that this is a problem that everybody has created, but it seems like everybody wants the comfort of sitting back in their little comfort area and say, oh, well, you know, I don't contribute to that problem. When if I asked every last one of you all, where does your trash go? You couldn't tell me. You couldn't tell me even where the damn recyclables go. Even though they're lying to you saying that, oh, we are actually doing a good thing. We're being good stewards for the earth. We're teaching our children how to be responsible consumers and put this in the blue bin and put this in the green bin and put this in the yellow bin. When all this shit is coming here to be burned. And, and because of that, people need to hold the people who create these situations accountable. Accountable. You cannot sit back in silence and say that a community that's already overburdened Period. Period. On the economic scale, um, the educational scale, um, against all odds, and say, okay, oh, well, it's not our problem. That's their shit. Let them deal with it. We don't contribute to all of that. It's it, very, very minor and a very minuscule amount. Okay? But because of everybody else's comfort, we have to deal with that shit, okay? Our children are having to deal with that. And, you know, and I always go and I, I look at the children in this community and I wonder why out of 501 school districts, we're either at 501 or number 500 on the learning scale. We weren't always that way. So you have to say, okay, well, what's contributing to this? 
Yeah, economics has always been there. But poor people rose above economics for forever. So what are the other contributing factors? Are our children being poisoned to the point where they cannot learn? And what clinician, what doctor is factoring those things in? They're not. Even the local doctors, if you always know what's in, don't nobody want to hear that bullshit, which means you don't know it's here. The world knows that it's here. People in Russia knows that it's here. The French know that it's here. People in China knows it's here. But you service this community and you don't take into that account what's contributing to the health factors for this community. What's contributing to the asthma rates? What's contributing to diabetes or cardiovascular problems or breathing issues? Those things need to be pushed and, and always be at the forefront when you're treating people. And not up containers of contaminated, infectious medical waste, and so that our children don't get into it. Okay? We've had to be detectives, stockbrokers, uh, look at deeds and all of these things. So the logical answer is if it's so bad, why don't you just leave? Okay. All right, if it's so good as they claim it is, how come it's not everything? The toxic tour was an impactful experience for all of the attendees. So the second morning, we debriefed about it for a little bit. And then I found myself like mulling over all of the individual things I did or didn't do to help or hurt the environment and how heavy that can feel. Like, oh God, I should have shouldn't have taken that to the cup, like for a whatever, you know, stuff like that, where that can be really um, fatiguing. So. Yeah, it's somehow becoming consuming that much worse than. Yes, they will really be And just be classified as a developed country. Mm -hmm. That just, I think, as any state, this country should be considered a developed country. If they cannot distribute the resources equally, you know, different places, you know. So I think that they should really be classified, declassified this country as a semi developed country. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, like half of the countries is just not developed. Some resources, but not like the community that I work in Alabama with in Union Town. They have to travel about 45 miles to get to the first healthcare center. You know, is it equity? No, it's not. Where in the whole world you can find something like that? Even in developing countries, there are some resources that are very close by, but less than 40 or 40 miles. Mm -hmm. yeah. So just my feeling that you know I work with Alabama town community and I was so sad. Every time I travel there, I can't eat, you know, for a long time. I last time to myself and I was like, okay, it just it makes me cry, it makes my eyes bother me because just I can't believe that we still have some sort of this communities in this big country, you know. So just so, so in I'm seeing a parallel like in nursing. Um, the way to advance in the career is to get away from the direct care. And I see that with environmental work, too. And the, I keep coming back to um, Zuli not getting paid. So kind of along that and some other comments. Um, so what can we do for her? And she had a specific ask, you know, that she put out there right away. So will we be sent and get receiving some follow-up information so we can... To, you know, make these calls or write these letters or whatever it is. Okay, this is yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Y
also, just so you know, we did give them honorariums. So she was given some money for her time. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, so that's great. Yeah. That's great. Sure. I also want to thinking about investment really going back to what Shelley's saying, Aaron's saying, um, all of you have kind of echoed this, this um, thought of going beyond equity, and Mike even talked to it, and now these, um, you know, government institutions are starting to use the word justice. Because mm -hmm. Justice is really what we're aiming for, and that's the dismantling of barriers that have led to the systemic oppression, which is causing communities to, to be in these situations. So how do you, to look beyond that and the work that you are doing? I just want to leave that as a final thought. Thank you. So I think, you know, what, what can we do? You know, uh, we have some questions out there, but I think we can all give them such rich input that if we do write letters, I mean, we can do something and we can show them that, yes, we heard you, and we can't solve your problems, but we can help in some, our own little way. The remainder of the morning was spent in topics called working with communities where different groups examined different environmental health issues and how they related to environmental justice. Insurance was one, um, especially access to care for um, the, you have Medicaid and CHIP. And the biggest thing, if you have CHIP in your area, you know that you have to renew that every year. And if you don't have someone before the deadline happens, you actually fall off of insurance, so then the child is not um, insured for the following year, and we're very restricted with that. So we were focusing on stakeholders who we could focus on, and we've done that throughout the project. Is that something we're going to bring to the stakeholders? Okay. So um, the Department of Health, the churches, the schools, uh, city council, senior centers came up later, and family was the biggest. Um, area that we could focus on accessing the families in the community, especially that. I was going to say language is another issue that we brought up. Um, it's in San Antonio, there's a high rate of Spanish-speaking people, so for funding, it's nice to have the people on board, especially with uh, health literacy issues, communicating with the family, just to increase that access, and we spoke about follow-up um, with, the, with the families as well. Um, some of the barriers we talked about were a lack of maybe uh, community leaders, lack of community stakeholders. Yeah. Um, we're dealing with a population that has an income of about less than 10,000. Mm -hmm. So many, many socioeconomic factors that illiteracy. are illiteracy as well. Um, so I think the one thing that we discussed, and what I'm hearing, this is a common thing. It seems like in every population that we're trying to access, in every community that we're trying to go into, when you go into a community that is um, maybe a little different than the way that you look, a uh, different racial mix, or um, it's just a different. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is that I think we come in with a different expectation. So you know, in addition to just coming in, you have to, you have to have a relationship with that community. It cannot be a one-time relationship. This is something that has to be ongoing because a different community will not trust. 
severe asthma, then they are complaining that coal ash makes our children sick and have asthma. But actually, the first thing is that they smoke in that small house, and that's why probably that coal ash might have might contribute in that asthma. But the first thing is that you shouldn't smoke in front of them. So the short-term goal was to educate them about yeah. Our short-term goals were to educate them and also do some sort of testing and find out what is in their water, what is in their air, and what are they doing to make it worse or what are they doing to make it better. So, I mean, and also talk to legislators. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I also live in an area that is very ripe for a big fire to blow through. And what we were talking about is that California fires, um, specifically like the Paradise area that burns, but even the other ones that have gone on in the area, they seem to be hit more frequently with very large fires in California, and it's just been going. So the framing of this in an, uh, a justice issue is that the homeowner, everybody was affected by a fire that was in the area. They didn't. It was not racially motivated to burn one area versus another. It just burned everybody. Um, so everybody had the same effect. The, their houses burned. Their properties where they were living was devastated. So part of the problem with the communication is it's a bilingual area. So all of the alerts were coming out in English. So the Spanish-only speaking communities did not necessarily get all of the details about who needed to leave, where they needed to go to, what kind of shelters were in place. Um, a radio station organized around that and was able to gather some of the English messaging and send it out in, in Spanish. Um, so that was a problem. And now they're working on a bill that will address that, that all alerts will come out bilingually now. And then another problem with the aftermath is homeowners, property owners, were able to get assistance from the FEMA and then also whatever insurance they had. So they are rebuilding a year and a half later. Families are starting to rebuild. It's still not built up yet. But the area was a mix of homeowners, renters, and undocumented people. So now we have homeowners that are um, have a path forward, but we have renters that didn't have anything. They weren't able to access uh, FEMA monies. And so they were lost. And then the third people, the undocumented folks that were living in the area, were very fearful and distrustful of any kind of government contact, including nursing, public health, anything like that. So they were afraid to reach out for assistance because they were afraid that ICE would be involved and then they would be asked to not be there anymore. A lead in the water from Michigan. And uh, so just to give you sort of a quick rundown if you're not familiar with the details, um, in 2014, uh, the water source for Flint, Michigan was diverted from Lake Huron to Flint River, and they didn't do the proper um, vetting of the pipes to prevent uh, corrosion from happening. So a lot of lead was getting into the drinking water. People started to complain about foul smells, and um, healthcare workers were starting to notice increased levels of lead in children. So um, it was a growing issue. In 2014, it affected like 140,000 people, but it took a while to get safe levels in action. So the numbers of work that were affected, I'm not sure if it's more than 140,000.
and just hearing about their lived experiences and their symptoms, whether it be neurological or behavioral or high blood pressure, um, that was something that we found um, to be important to sort of lead how to fix it and where to fix it and who is effective. Um, and then also uh, some of the EJ issues that came up were racism, classism, um, human rights violations, clean water should be guaranteed, right? Um, so, a, uh, a fracking case study. There's a community in western Pennsylvania in Washington County um, where they, uh, the state health department was examining a possible cancer cluster. Um, fracking has um, occurs in that um, community. And there were four students within a school district in Washington County in the past decade that were um, diagnosed with pneumosarcoma, which is a rare um, bone cancer. So the, the state health department has looked at it and they say it isn't a cancer cluster, but a lot of people feel like the way that they conducted the study um, really doesn't take it to the full account. Just because it is such a rare form of cancer, it's very unusual that you have four in that same county. Um, and so the, the, the community is just really upset. We also talked about how when they come in, they may not do baseline testing. So you may not have baseline air monitoring or baseline water testing. And so then when the problems start to arise, the company can be like, well, it was always there. or We didn't cause it. You don't have that baseline data. Um, say what the health assessment of the community prior to them coming in. Um, so it would be really challenging, like in this instance, to make the case for health impacts. You can hear that the participants really took a deep dive into environmental justice and understanding the impacts of different environmental issues on communities all across the nation in many different settings. As we prepared to pack up and leave, here are just a few more comments from participants. Hey there. Hi, my name is Rachel Schrank, and I'm a nurse from South Bend, Indiana. Um, I have learned a lot these past couple of days and been really inspired to meet so many other fantastic nurses who are doing um, really great work and uh, feel inspired to go back and do some work in my community. Awesome, thank you. Hi, my name's Mira Soder. I'm from Chicago, Illinois. Um, I've really valued my time here at the summit. Um, so I think it's a great exchange of dialogue between people of all different geographical regions. Some of our problems are nuanced and most of them overlap. So I think it's a great space to share our experiences. Terrific, thank you. Hi, Linda Mendonca from Rhode Island. And um, this um, fellowship so far has been awesome, learning lots of new things. and. It's a way to keep my passion going for environmental health issues. Awesome, thank you. Hello. Hi, my name is Jason Kerchick. I'm up in Burlington, Vermont. And I think the biggest takeaway is I've had so many aha moments of connecting environmental justice and cumulative impact. And what that really means and going out on that toxic tour was really able to put things together. And uh, so going away with a lot of new friends and, and enlightenment. Fabulous, thank you. Hi, I'm Kylie Petersmith from Omaha, Nebraska. And I am, I would say, empowered uh, learning uh, what I have and taking it back to Omaha and 
uh, as a nurse and a healer and also an educator utilizing my nursing students as a small army to create change. Wonderful. Thank you. Hi, I'm Kathy Reiner and I'm from Denver, Colorado. Um, my biz biggest takeaway, I think, was to realize that there are people that feel the same way that I do, as deeply as I do, and get that inspiration from that. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Did I get you? I don't think I did. What do you want me to do? Your name and where you're from, and just a thought about this experience. Oh. Hi, this is Lisa Chan. I'm from Massachusetts. I'm one of the mentors for the fellowship program, and I am so inspired and humbled by this experience. It's a great time to get together with um, people who have common values that you do um, and share, uh, share all your thoughts about how to improve the environment with others. Terrific. Thank you. look forward to hearing about this first cohort of fellows in the Annie Environmental Health Nursing Fellowship developed for their community health projects over the coming year. And in the meantime, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. Please check out our others on the Annie website. And um, we'll come back to this particular topic, the fellowship, a couple more times during this year. So stay tuned. Thanks a lot.